Good morning, Chapel Hill. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you all back. I missed you last week. My empty cheering section was terrible. So welcome back. Good to have you home. Yeah, there we go. That's what we missed. So good to see you uh, today. Welcome. Uh, if you, uh, a couple of things I want to share before I, we jump into the message. First of all, uh, today at 3.30, we're going to have uh, what was, uh, in the times back, it would have been considered the rock concert of their time. Uh, the pipe organ. You know, it probably doesn't seem too rocky to you, but you're going to hear a guy today who rocks that thing as you've never heard it played before. So it'll be at 3.30. Uh, Douglas Cleveland is the professor of organ at the University of Washington, and uh, he is going to make that thing actually stand up and dance. The console will be rotating around up here. It'll be great. So 3.30, it's no cost. If you've never heard an organ played like this, you ought to come. It'll be pretty cool. Um, next week, we recommence our journey through the book of Romans. I'm going to be starting on Romans 12, and I'm, that's one of my favorite chapters in Romans, after Romans 8, and uh, I'm anxious to be able to launch that with you. So come back next week ready to rock and roll in the book of Romans. Today, we are wrapping up a three-week uh, celebration We're calling it Momentum, Beyond These Walls, Momentum. And if you're visiting with us, and I hope we have visitors here, we always do, um, a year ago, this congregation set out on a really heroic task. We said, we're going to uh, raise enough money to eliminate every dollar of debt that remains on this church over the next three years. We want to get rid of this debt. We want to stop paying the bank, although we're grateful for the bank, but we want to stop paying them, and we want to use that money instead to thrust ourselves out into ministry beyond these walls wonderful walls uh, like we've never done before. And over these three weeks, we've been looking at each of the three elements of that Beyond These Walls initiative. Last week, I, I hope, I mean, if, if your heart wasn't just swelling, you got a pretty hard heart last week. Because to look up here and see the parade of young leaders that were coming up to remind us that one of our calls is to send leaders and to hear Michael Bautersa stand up and take the pulpit, I mean, it was awesome. And, uh, and it was a great reminder of one of the unique things to which God has called us as a church, to raise up and send leaders beyond our walls. And the week before that, Pastor Ellis and I stood up here, and we talked about loving your neighbor. And one of the ways that we really want to love our neighbor is to share the gospel of Jesus with them. Alpha, that's what that's all about. Through that, uh, through that ministry, we have people who are walking through our doors and coming to know Christ who have never darkened the doors of a church before. Again, you can't get much more beyond these walls than this. Today we wrap it up with our third piece, which is making disciples. Pastor Megan is the one who's leading the charge on that. And uh, I always love listening to Megan preach because when the, when the Spirit comes on her, man, it, you just know you're about to be rocked by her too. It's rocking all day. And, uh, and she is particularly passionate about making disciples. And, and you're going to hear that passion in her heart and in her voice. We don't often do this, but I'm really glad that Megan is one of the ministers in this church and one of our people who brings the word to us. Would you tell her you are too as you welcome her to the pulpit. You guys are so kind. Well, I'm really excited to be able to share this particular passage with you in Acts chapter 4, because I got to tell you, I have been enthralled with this passage the last three weeks. And I think it's because I've been doing some study in the Old Testament, and it's just given me the chance to read Acts 4 as if I've never read it before. So if you'll be patient with me, 
Um, I, you know, I was told that this should be a short message, so I just thought I'd only go from Genesis to Revelation in just a couple minutes. And so that's actually my plan, because I, I really want to see if I can gift you what God has given me in, this, in these fresh eyes to see Acts chapter 4. Um, I've been studying the—I uh, told you I've been studying the Old Testament, and what happens when we begin with the beginning of the story is we can see more of what God's doing from the beginning to the end. And— uh, one of the things about the Old Testament is that God, uh, God gets a bad rap. His reputation in, for the Old Testament in our world today is just not a fair caricature. Uh, God gets a reputation for being distant, unapproachable, even violent. And, uh, and it's, just, it's, just not, it's just not fair to God, okay? So I'm just going to clear things up today. People were separated from God not from the very beginning. His intention was for us to be perfectly united with him. But when people chose to go away opposite of what God wanted for them, they went to get knowledge apart from him. What that introduced into the world was a a separation between God and man that introduced evil into the world that God did not intend to be there. And so it meant the actual it meant the enemy, death, entered into our world. We actually see that we die now. That was not um, in the original design. We also see that men and women don't live in harmony together. There's a strife between men and women that was never God's intention. If you guys have been outside this week uh, gardening like I have, you've experienced one of the sufferings of the world, the evils of the world. The, the, the ground actually fights back against us, okay? That was not God's intention for the world. All of this, all source of suffering and evil in the world originated when God and man were separated made space in this divide for evil and for suffering to enter into the world. And so that was a, a separation that God never intended for us. John 10.10 10 says that God has come that we would have life and life abundantly. And that abundant life is only available in the presence of God. And so God was not content with the separation, and so he set in work a plan to be reunited with us. And the Old Testament story is the story of God revealing to us over and over the strength of his desire to be reunited with us. It confirms over and over again his holiness and our separateness from his holiness, but how much he longs to to bridge the divide. And so what we see in the Old Testament was that there was a long series of rituals and sacrifices that had to be overcome in order for just one person at a time to be in God's presence. But that's where he wanted to be. He wanted to be dwelling with his people. And so the New Testament starts, we all, we all like the New Testament. Most people, we even only hand out New Testaments because we're afraid of that really part. I think that's unfair. Because the New Testament is just the continuation of the story where God has made a plan to be reunited with his people. And so God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus to live among us and to show us with his life what he always intended for us. And because the Son, Jesus, and the Father were perfectly united by the power of the Holy Spirit, because they were perfectly unified, Jesus lived a life in perfect submission to the will of God. He loved the world with the perfect love of God. And so we get to see in Jesus everything that God designed for life in his presence. 
Which is why even people who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, man, they love his life. They love the life of Jesus. And it's because Jesus' life is everything that our hearts long for. It's everything that we were inherently designed for, lived out in a person. And so we see peace and joy, hope, celebration, no one hurt, no one left out, no one lonely, everyone brought in together. That is the life of Jesus. That is the life that God intended for us. And so Jesus lived out that perfect life. He also lived out the full consequence of being separated from God. He lived out the full curse of the evil in the world in his death on the cross. And because he was divine and perfectly holy, that sacrifice was the sacrifice that completed every other ritual and sacrifice that the Old Testament shows us is required to be in the holy presence of God. God himself completed all of that on our behalf. And then because Jesus is also fully human, when he was raised from the dead, he made a way for all humans to be raised from the dead, to defeat that enemy of death. So it would not have any more hold over us so that we could be in the presence of God forever as he always intended. But he wasn't content to wait for eternity to be with you. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, he sent his Holy Spirit, who is the presence of God within us. And God set in motion, as Pastor Bill read earlier, he set in motion the mission that everyone who has his presence, who has the Holy Spirit, would go into the world and introduce people to God. That one by one, story by story, moment by moment, just like a normal relationship develops, that you would come to know this God who so loves you and who so longs to be with you. That's the mission. That's the story. And understanding that separation and and God's reunification plan gives us the opportunity to opportunity to be enthralled with this moment in Acts chapter 4, where we get to see for the very first time what it looks like when not one person at a time is in God's presence, but when God's presence is in everyone. What's going to be different? That's like what my heart quickened as I've been reading Acts 2, 3, and 4 this week. What's different when God's presence is fully available? When he's fully in each of us? What does that community look like? What's different when everyone knows the presence of God? My intention today is that you would feel compelled to be in God's presence. And to be in God's presence in community. So we are in Acts chapter 4. And I want to invite you to open up your scriptures and keep them open. Because we're going to... We're going to cover some ground today. There's the Bibles in front of you in the pews. You can turn to page 912, or you could um, find Acts 4 in your Bible app and follow with me. Where we are in the story is that uh, we're picking up from the last two weeks where John and Peter have just done an incredible miracle. They've been in jail, and now they are going back to their small group. Uh, The 
the church at the time was organized by houses. It was a lot of small groups that made up one large church. And there'd be times when there would be times of preaching by the thousands and people would be baptized and kind of like our Sunday morning experience. But the church was lived out daily in the context of small groups. And when Peter and John go back to their small group, we begin to see what it looks like when, in a, when a whole community is full of God's presence. Because their reaction to finding out that their friend is in jail is not the normal human reaction. A normal human reaction, if you found out that a friend of yours in your life group was in jail, if, you're like, if you have my personality, you go on the aggressive, and you form a committee, and you send letters, and you knock on everyone's door in town, and you find a way to go on the offensive, Right? Or if you have a different kind of personality, maybe actually you become afraid and you disperse or you hide and you, you be quiet. Well, this community has a reaction that could only be because the Spirit of God is among them. So I want to read that for you. I'm going to begin in verse 24, and I just want to apologize to the booth because I'm going to read more than I planned on, okay? So um, beginning in uh, verse 24. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And now I'm going to paraphrase. It's happening exactly like you said it would. You've been saying since King David that people were going to be against you when you started moving in the world. And they are. You said that we saw it in Jesus, that people were against them, against him and his message. And they were. And now they're against us. Yeah! Not normal. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number, verse 32, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Are you enthralled with that community? Would you want to be a part of that community? Not afraid, not going on the aggressive, but praying boldly. Incredible unity and incredible generosity. When I was, I talked on Thursday with one of our life group leaders and uh, they're going through a season of conflict and we've been talking about this off and on and I I closed our conversation by saying, by the way, I'm going to be preaching this message, and I just want to encourage and speak blessing over your life group that you would be of one heart and one soul and have everything in common. And he laughed, and he said, that's got to be the only time in all of human history when a small group looked like that. And you're laughing because you've been in small groups over here. I laughed with him, and then I got off the phone, and then I started getting riled up. And I, I went to my, went to open up my computer, turned on dictation, and I started preaching. And I totally changed my message because I am convinced that this kind of life group is the life group that God has enabled by sending his presence to each one of us. 
by breaking the divide that separated us from one another and separated us from God, God has now restored in full presence with him. And so we should be able to be fully unified with one another. God has invited us into a a church life, a small group life, where we are most transformed into his presence. This is his idea. I did not reinvent the wheel by saying that we're going to do life groups here. It was Jesus's way of making disciples. It was the church's way of making disciples. A small group is God's vehicle for us to become more like Jesus. But I couldn't come up during the Beyond These Walls series and just simply say we're going to make disciples by multiplying our small groups because I'm afraid that we have settled and been content for too small a definition of a small group. I'm afraid that we've settled in and said it's enough that I meet every week for an hour and a half with the same group of people and we um, discuss the sermon and we pray for our aunt and uncle and our dog and then we're done. And those aren't bad things. I hope that you're praying, and I hope you're interceding for people. And I work really hard with a group of people on the sermon guide. So I hope that you're using them, because I believe that, the power, that, that God's word has the power to transform us. So I don't mean that. But what I mean is that you can't define a life group by that hour and a half long meeting. That's not what God's vision is for making disciples in a small group. So I want to propose this definition of a small group. A life group is a family on mission becoming more like Jesus every day. A life group is a family on mission becoming more like Jesus every day. And I want to talk about that family at the individual level and then at the group level. First, at the individual level, um, you are talking about a group of people who are all full of the Holy Spirit. And not everyone in that life group is going to be like John and Peter, who have a public preaching ministry, or like the group of young people that we brought up last week that I still consider myself to be a part of, who are um, called to ordained ministry. Not everyone is called into that kind of ministry. But we are all called to make disciples beyond these walls because we all have the Holy Spirit. When you study the Old Testament for a little while— It will put you on your face to realize that the most high God dwells in you. That the the presence of God that brought holiness and awe, um, signs and wonders, that Jesus has bridged the gap for him to dwell in you. It will put you on your face and it will put you on mission. I'm fully convinced that if we were aware that the presence of God dwells in us all the time, that our lives would be radically different. I'm going to get eminently practical with you for a second, because I, I really I believe this in the core of who I am. That if you were aware of the presence of God with you in the grocery store, that you would not have the same grocery store experience, Okay. If you've seen me in the grocery store, you probably just saw me, but I didn't see you because I was on the mission to get groceries as fast as humanly possible. Now you don't see me because I have them delivered. Hallelujah. But if I had the presence of God in me in the grocery store, then I would have the eyes to see and the heart to empathize with that mama in front of me who's counting out her coupons at the checkout line and is pulling things out because she doesn't have enough money for all her groceries. 
And God might just inspire you to slip a $20 bill into her grocery cart. I believe that when you are aware of the presence of God in you, when you're writing a business contract, that Jesus actually cares about every line in that contract. And you might just feel an inkling within you, the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you saying, just pay a little bit more attention to that line. I'd like you to change that. Maybe it's because there's something that's going to happen in the future of the company that you can't anticipate right now. Maybe it's because somebody is going to be not served well down the supply chain and God is in is going to use you as an agent of justice right there in that business contract. Maybe you're a pharmacist and you have that extra moment when you hand someone their prescription, when you're consulting with them. When you're aware of the presence of God in you, you might just look them in the eye like John and Peter did. And you might recognize that that medication that you're giving them, that's not going to actually hit the need that they have. And I don't know what your work situation, whether you can actually say this out loud or whether it's something that you pray for them silently, but you would say, this medicine I give you, but in the name of Jesus, would you be healed? And I believe that the Most High God still wants to work wonders through you. That's what the individual life with God on mission looks like. But John and Peter even show us that whatever ministry you're in, it's not a solo venture. After that miracle and, and that time in jail, where'd they go back to? Their small group, right? And their small group prayed for them and emboldened them. Their, their small group shared with them everything they had. I, I guarantee you John and Peter weren't making a lot of money going around and healing people. And they had families to feed, okay? They shared everything, had everything in common. That small group was their family where they were becoming more like Jesus, Here's the thing about your family. You don't get to choose your family. Maybe some of you would prefer that you could, but you can't. You're born into a family. And one of the metaphors that God's given us for for becoming believers is that we are born again into a new family. And I want to ask you as your pastor to just own that you're the member of a family. And not be content to only see your family for an hour while you're all facing forward and mostly listening. You need each other. You're not the same. You got different personalities, different opinions, even to some degree different doctrine. And yet God has put you together in a family. I really believe that when we own individually the mission to make disciples— to be on mission to become more like Jesus every day, that we will not only seek out life groups, small group community, but we will also start and multiply our life groups, recognizing just how much we need the family. We need one another. I remember um, two years ago, I was a part of a women's small group for a season, a women I, a women I was doing life with, but I also kind of wanted to see the Holy Spirit was moving in their life group, but I wanted to get a feel for that. And there was a woman in their life group who was having immigration issues, and I got a group text that asked to send her money and to help her move. And I called the life group leader because I was a little concerned that they might be getting taken advantage of. And um, I really appreciate how the life group leader responded to me. She was very gracious, but she said in so many words, "Um, we're going to be like Jesus here, Meg. 
uh, this is something we really feel called to. We think that this is the life of Jesus. This is what it looks like to share with one another. And I don't think we're getting taken advantage of, but even if we were, I don't care. This is what we're going to do. And I became more like Jesus that day because I was in that life group. And because they showed me a less cynical, more radical generosity that Jesus had inspired in them. When you ask what a life group is at Chapel Hill, I don't want you to define it by that hour and a half long meeting. I would hope that you could define it with me, that a life group is a family on mission, becoming more like Jesus every day. And if that's not how you would define your life group right now, I just want to ask you to take this week's sermon discussion guide really seriously, to go really deep, and to pray that God would transform your life group, that he would reorient your life group to be a family on mission, that you would celebrate those places where you are becoming more like Jesus every day. If you're new here and you're not already doing life with people here, I want to invite you into our life groups. You can go on our website. There's a Get Involved tab. And if you search life groups, there will be 55 life group leaders that you can contact. You can narrow it down by, um, by age or location. Or you could email me too, but just get started. Jump in. We want to invite you into life with us. If you've been here for a while, I want to offer a different first step to you. I want you to start with a question. Just ask, who am I doing life with? Who do I want to get to know more? Who do I hang out with? Whose number's in my phone? Who do I sit near on Sunday? And just ask the Lord, Lord, is, would you reorient my group of people that I'm doing life with to be a family that's on mission? Would you use them in my life that I might become more like you? And if that's you, I just want to invite you into an exploration day with me, okay? I'm like lowering the bar as much as I can and calling you as high as I possibly can at the same time. Once a year, we offer a life group uh, leader training for new life group leaders. We call it Multiply, and it's happening on Saturday, May 5th. And I just want to encourage you to come Check out what we mean by being a follower of Jesus, what we mean by a life group, and let me talk with you personally and explore with you what it would look like to reorient the people you're doing life with to be a life group on mission. I really do want Chapel Hill to not only burn all these mortgages, but to, to be a, a family on mission that we would see Jesus move here, the presence of God come among us. That mission is not going to be fulfilled because we sent a couple people to seminary or because collectively we were able to write a couple big checks to organizations. That might be part of it. But this mission will be fulfilled because each one of us took the presence of God where we are and brought the name of Jesus into our communities We are together emboldened in our faith. We together have everything in common. We together not only expect but pray for the kind of unity that we saw in this community. I want to invite you uh, maybe to consider going uh, into a new direction with me. One of the ways that Peter was called to take the name of Jesus was to go into communities where the name of Jesus was not being shared. And he would share the name of Jesus, and those who would believe, he would baptize. He would pull them together into communities of house churches that would start worshiping God together regularly. And that process we call church planting. 
And we are wondering if this is a season for Chapel Hill where God might send out individual people into our neighboring counties where the name of Jesus is not being shared and to see if God might want to start a church there. So I'm going to spend a couple days in May um, with a church planner friend of mine in Port Orchard and in Ruston, just going into the community and asking the Lord to reveal to us spiritual hunger and to give us opportunities to share the name of Jesus. And if you want to share that mission with me, if those are communities that you're in, if you want to go with me, contact me, because I'd love to have you go with me. Church planning is one of the ways that we would love to make disciples in our communities. The mission of Beyond These Walls is to take the name of Jesus outside of merely this building of Chapel Hill and to see the presence of God come as he's promised into our families, into our own lives, into our life groups, and into our cities. I'm enthralled with this new way of life, this new way of community that's available because the presence of God is in us. Do you want to be in on that? I'm going to need a little more enthusiastic. Do you want to be on that mission with me? <laughs> okay. Man, I love you. Yes! Yeah, I'm actually waiting for that. I'm wait, um, Lord, I pray for that to resonate. Lord, would we be giddy about the presence of you coming among us? Would we look like this Acts 4 church that pumps their fist in the air and says, make us more bold, make us more unified. Let us give away more that your name might be known in all the earth, that your presence might come anew might come into each one of us, that the shalom, the peace, the joy, the love, the celebration, the inclusion, the healing that comes as a byproduct of your very presence would come among us. Lord, would we make disciples that we might know your presence among us even now and into eternity. In the name of Jesus, amen.